feel like I haven't preached in, in nine years. Uh, but as one dear brother in the church always likes to say to me, and it's really truly is encouraging, he says, you have a deep bench. Um, you know, there are people here that, that, that can preach, and there's been some fantastic messaging that's come in the last several weeks, including, I think, last week when we just, I think the message of unity in the midst of diversity uh, is powerful. I love when we gather together with uh, Iglesias. See you, Dad. There's something powerful about those times, and... Uh, and, but the messages that in the, the two weeks before that with uh, Pastor Kevin and Pastor Brian were both stellar, although Pastor Kevin probably doesn't remember because it it's a while back, but he opened his message by roasting me, and he didn't think I'd listen to it. Or he knew I would, I think, and so that's why he did that. So I did catch it, and I will get him back. Not really. I won't because I love my enemies. Enemy love. Adversarial love is in the room. Uh, so, uh, speaking of enemy love, uh, one of the, one of the, the challenges that I have in my life is, uh, delegation and distributing, even though I know it is absolutely the mandate of the Lord for us in, in the, in, in the church in general, but specifically our church and, uh, impediments to, to distributing leadership and responsibility come in different forms and, this morning, uh, I, we've tried to use more titles, you know, as, as the holders for our messages and not just dates. So when I came in, Brian said, hey, hey, you didn't put anything in the planning center for a title. You have a title. I was like, oh, no, I completely forgot. I'm sorry. And so we were looking at the scripture, and a, a person who named, will remain nameless, but his initials are Jason Richardson, uh, <laughs> looked, at, looked at the verse, and he said, oh, and, and we're going to get in the verse in a minute. It's, it's, it's at the end of Matthew 11 about Jesus offering rest from our weariness. And so he and, and his yoke being light. And, and Jason offered, is it, do you have that title? Yeah. I guess emphasizing the weakness. And so uh, our sermon titling team, distributing responsibility to a team, uh, it was birthed in... And, and, it, and it ended very quickly. Uh, but, but actually, uh, uh, I, I said, you know, the, oh, there you go, the bird. I, so somebody else came up with that. Whoever, whoever did that title is hired. Uh, because the problem with me, with my distracted mind, I'm like Martha, and Mary and Martha, is that uh, I then sit through the whole worship set going, how do I work in, do you even lift, bro, into a message? Uh, and I, I, I'm sure it'll end up coming up because of my... ADD-ish mind. But let's, let's open the word to Matthew chapter 11. And uh, very end of Matthew 11. I'll just read it and then I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll sort through it together. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, come to me. Come to me. Those words almost make me weep. I just want you to imagine the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, saying that. Come to me. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And so, Father, we pray that you would illuminate this word, that you would 
help me to exposit, to expose this word in a way that would uh, go into the, the depths of our hearts and it would find a, a, a fertile place to take root. This is a, a word, this is a, a rhema word, it's a now word, it has, it, it, it matters for us. It's a wide net word, Lord, and that you offer this word to all. feels timely as well, Lord, in many ways, uh, for us and for me. And, and so we ask, Lord, that you would, you would speak to each and every one of us. I pray, Lord, that as you go about the business of meddling and, and, and molding us, that you would start with my heart. It's real time, Lord, that you, would, that you would filter through my heart in a way that you would tenderize me, that the words that would go out of my mouth, Lord, would be your words and not mine. I don't really have anything clever in mind to say. And so we thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness to, to open up and to proclaim and to defend your own word. We claim the promise of Isaiah 55, 11, that your word will not return void. And so, Lord, accomplish with it what you desire to accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen. Such a powerful, powerful word that Jesus offers in the middle of a very interesting uh, unfolding, John or Matthew chapter 11, and then uh, it, it kind of ends Matthew 11 and then bridges into Matthew 12, uh, which is, you know, uh, duh, but it, it, it's such a, it's almost an out of place. It's, it's almost one of those passages, not almost, it is, and we don't always understand the way that the, 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 the Gospels are laid out. Sometimes they're explicitly and clearly chronological. So this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And sometimes not so much. But you'll notice um, at, the, at the very beginning of chapter 12, if you have your Bibles open, that the very first words of chapter 12 kind of tie these verses together. And it says, at that time. So, you know, Jesus finishes, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And so there is this kind of way in which there's this kind of narrative being, being told and either Jesus broke in in the midst of it or Matthew in his telling decided this needed to be brought into the middle of this context because if you read Matthew chapter 11, it's a very, it's, it's very there, there's, there's, there's an assertiveness, there's an there's a intensity to Matthew 11 with regards to the stuff that's happening before Jesus and the questions that are being asked by John's disciples and Jesus is saying things to them like, you know, again, this is meek and mild Jesus that we like to, I mean, anywhere I go, anywhere in the world, when you say, you can talk about, you know, religion and faith and da-da-da-da, but if you just say, hey, what do you think of Jesus? People are always like, oh, I love Jesus. Jesus is great. But generally speaking, we don't know him well, and so when you have this picture of him just being meek and mild, read things like Matthew 11, where he's saying things like, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of, of God or the kingdom of heaven has been advancing forcefully or violently. And, and forceful or violent men lay hold of it. And he's saying things like, to what can I compare the generation? And they're like children sitting in the market. And they, we play, you know, they, he's saying that we played the flute, but they didn't hear, or they, they didn't dance. He, he says, uh, he begins to denounce cities. <laughs> Have you ever thought of this? Jesus, is, he performed miracles, but then those cities didn't repent. So he says, you know, I performed miracles in Jacksonville, but the people didn't t- turn their hearts to me, so I denounced Jacksonville. I mean, this is heavy stuff, right? And, 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 and he goes on to say, um, he, he makes this claim right before this passage. He makes it really clear 
when people were like, well, Jesus kind of just was a great voice amongst a lot of great voices. He was a great teacher. He, look at the claim he makes right before this. He says, all things have been committed to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father. He says, no one knows me except the father. And, and no one knows the father except the son. He's speaking this out to the religious elite saying, you don't even know God. Uh, I alone know him, and only the only ones who are going to get to know the Lord are those whom I choose to reveal him to. I mean, this is, there, there, this is a very, there, there's, a, there's a pretty intense feeling to what's happening. He then goes on after this passage in, in, in uh, Matthew 12 to, 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 to basically to take apart uh, questions about the Sabbath. And so it's a, it's a very wonderful passage of scripture that comes it's almost like you needed a chance to catch our breath and he says come to me all who are weary and heavy laden you ever feel weary i feel weary uh i have thought a lot about this even this week as i've been praying through this like what is what is it in our world i mean there is a rhythm to the way that our life is supposed to be lived before God. And when we get in that rhythm, and, and I'm not going to demonstrate rhythm because I have none, but it, if I could, I would. But when we get into that right rhythm, it, it works, right? Our lives work, and we have this sense of, of, of a give and take with the Lord where we're, he's filling us to the point of overflowing, and what's flowing out of us is, is what we call ministry, and when, he, and when we get out of rhythm with him, somehow or another, we move and it, or, we put, or obstacles get put up to what he's pouring into us. And then we get empty because we're leaky vessels and because we pour ourselves out and we're out of rhythm with him. And then we get weary. And Jesus is addressing this very specifically. And I, I, I look at the world around. I'll, I'll, I'll unpack the context with which, in which he says this. But I look at our context and I go, you know, the, there are all kinds of factors of weariness, and this is not any way, by any way, shape, or form, an exhaustive list. I just thought, well, what are some of the things I see in my life around me? Um, we're weary because of the way we live. We don't, we don't sleep much anymore or sleep well. You know, we do. We, how many of you have a smartphone? How many of you have your smartphone plugged in by your bedside? Yeah, I mean, how many, and, and, and how many of you have that smartphone on do not disturb or you turned off or some way where it won't wake you up? You know, how many of you wake up and check your phone? You know, it's, it's, it's like that, you know, it's like that I do. I mean, I should have had my hand up for all that, although I, do, I did finally institute do not disturb because most of the problems that I that need to address can be addressed when the sun is high in the sky and, 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 and not at 2 in the morning. Um, but, you know, technology and social media and smartphones and all these things have created this, you know, um, 24-7 reality. I, a, a, a friend of mine who is now running, well, you guys, many of you know Stephen Strubing. His father, father-in-law's plumbing business is called Charlie's Plumbing, and their, and their logo or their slogan is, we're available 25 hours a day. You know, trying to make, make the comparison to, hey, we're always, we're available plus one. And I think that's kind of the world we live in, of constant, you know, availability. It makes us weary, doesn't it? I, by the way, I don't like sleep. How many of you like sleep? I can't stand sleep. Um, I wish I didn't have to sleep because I don't want to, and, and I'll, I'll, open, I'll own this a little bit later in my message. I have a fear of missing out. 
and I want, I, I want to be awake. For I, I, I just think, I like to dream, but other than dreaming, I'd rather be awake, you know? My wife, on the other hand, loves to sleep. <laughs> and so uh, we have to find a, uh, a balance in that. But that, that wearies us. Uh, I'll tell you something else that wearies us. The world around us wearies us. Politics. Culture. The, 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 the sense of tension and friction that exists within our world today is wearying. It's wearying to me. I went to lunch on Friday with Pastor Robert Brown from Builders of the Faith, and we had a long, beautiful conversation about the events that unfolded last week in Dallas with the verdict that came down on the police officer who shot and killed a black man in his home. And what I had observed to him was how, I said, you know, I woke up a couple days ago and I noticed how all these people had posted the, the video of this, of this kid getting down and forgiving the woman, hugging. Did any of you see this? It's a powerful video. And I said to him, though, I said, you know, Pastor Brown, what I noticed is that every one of, the, of my friends that posted that was white. I didn't notice any black person posting that. And, he said, and I said, I, 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 I felt like pretty quickly that maybe we were a little bit blind to the whole story. And he said, that's exactly right. And I, I, I posted something on, on uh, Twitter feed that I'd found that was somebody's Twitter feed that, that broke down the complication of all that and for the need for there to be both forgiveness and justice, you know, and how it's, it's much more complicated. And, and, uh, and so, but what we both got to in our lunch was how wearying it is to, you know, we both grew up in a world that's changed significantly. We're around the same age, and the things that I saw as a kid and the things that he experienced as a kid, praise God we've moved beyond a lot of that, but yet here we are, middle 50s, still feeling and fighting some of the same issues whether it's, you know, race or, or, or any other, you know, culture that you bring up. Let me just, the way that I want to say it to you is this. Neither the elephant nor the donkey is superior to the lamb. <laughs> right? I don't care if, you know, at some point I'm going to do a bio, more autobiographical message. But I'll tell you, uh, I'm not a Republican, I'm not a Democrat, and I haven't voted for a winning president in a long time. Long time. Um, it's not the Senate, it's not the Supreme Court, it's, it's, it's the Supreme One. It's the Supreme Love. And uh, another factor that makes us weary is busyness. Busyness in our, in our world is a badge of honor. It's a trendy status, you know? And we like to say, you know, we like to demonstrate, you know, how, how, how busy we are. And being busy just for the sake of being busy or for the fear of missing out means we're actually under Satan's yoke. This is, you know, to be busy for the sake of being busy is, is not actually to be under the yoke of Jesus but under the yoke of the enemy. And how much stuff, this is a question I'll pose to you now and maybe come round back to it. How much stuff are we doing that God hasn't asked us to do? Would you be willing to pray that prayer? Lord, how much of what I'm presently doing in my life are things that you've not asked me to do? When I was a kid, I used to watch a show on Sunday nights called Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. I could still sing the song. Mutual of Omaha, Wild Kingdom, something, something. I didn't even know what Mutual of Omaha was when I was a kid. I didn't know it was an insurance company. I just thought it was a wildlife organization. And, and uh, 
Oh, I wish I could remember the guy's name that went out on the... Marlon Perkins? And, and his faithful sidekick, Jim. Right? Wasn't it Jim that went out with him? And, and Jim would always... Marlon would say, well, I sit in the boat and watch. Jim got out and wrestled this 30-foot or 30 foot anaconda. And, and Jim would always be near death, and Marlon would be commenting on it. But Anybody else remember that? <laughs> I love that show. But I used to always watch this, and it would always, I would always think there would always be an episode or ep- where there's like 400 big old wildebeest. And they're just walking along, and all of a sudden, like, two lions or three lions would come and start chasing them. And... These wildebeests are massive, and all of a sudden, 400 wildebeests will be running like, like everywhere, like, like, like it's you know, like, like their hair's on fire, and, and it's panic, and they're going in every direction. And I would watch that, and I would say, I'd always say, even as a little kid, I'd go, "Why don't they stop and herd up and go, "Hey guys, we're bigger than them, and together we're like way bigger than them. Why don't we join together as a team?" And turn around and go after them and we'll stomp them. And instead they run around like they're crazy and the weak and the sick and the young get exposed. And, 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 the, and a few lions are able to give chase to 400 wildebeest. And I think that in many ways this is what our busyness looks like to the Lord. Where we're running around in a chaotic frenzy like our hair's on fire being put to chase by little issues that shouldn't put us to chase, being set frantic or, in, or anxiety, you know, coming in from the enemy by virtue of the fact that we haven't simply stopped and said, Lord, help us to employ your kingdom's strategies or cultures to these issues. Meanwhile, Jesus, while we're running around, is like, shh, 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 shh. slow down, chill, chill out, you know, just wait, wait on me, Relax. And speaking from personal experience, I think oftentimes we fall into the trap of wanting our accomplishments to validate our existence. And so as long as, you know, we need to show what we've done or show what we're doing or show what we've accomplished, it's a form of self-salvation, you know, where we say, I've become more um, credible, valid, whatever to you, because I can trot out these things that, that I'm doing and there's nothing wrong with doing, but... Really, and I heard this yesterday. I was in a couple of phenomenal meetings yesterday. I was in a fiery prayer meeting yesterday morning that was just so good. And then I went to a meeting with some brothers and sisters where there was incredible unity in the midst of decisions were being made. And, and you know, both of those meetings gave me, even though there were, I, I was out from early to later in the day than I thought, there was, there was a deep sense of rest. And one of the things that was said that got into me was a reminder of... of a secular book, Jim Collins, Good to Great. Has anybody ever read Good to Great? One of the cool takeaways from Good to Great is he makes the point about culture being greater than strategy. That culture trumps strategy. That you can have all the strategy in the world, but if you haven't established the right culture, the strategy is not going to accomplish anything. And I think that this is exactly what Jesus is getting at in the midst of this, this passage, is how do we stop? And this message is not necessarily about five strategies to, to rest or to find you know, uh, I'm not going to break down Shabbat for you and teach on, on Shabbat. This is much more about the culture that Jesus wants to establish in our lives of, of, of slowing down and, and of resting. And so let me just, you know, walk through it that way. First off, just what I said, you got to slow down. 
we have to slow down and rest. We have to rest in the redemptive work of Jesus. I think that we, we get so frantic sometimes in the, in, the, in the things that we're doing that we forget that we're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We've, and I don't mean that we forget that that's true. We just forget that we are. And, and, and you know, who are the guys that sang that in the 80s? You got to slow it down. Come on, Yolanda, you know. Slow, you got to... You guys all know it, right? I mean, you got to slow it down, right? We have to slow it down and rest in, the, in this work of Jesus. There, there, there is... A, a, redemption means... A, redemption, to my mind or my understanding, actually the idea of redemption and, and being redeemed by the blood actually began Passover. You know, that's where the whole idea of, of, of our redemption being, being bought or being paid for or being accomplished through something outside of ourselves happens, and I think we oftentimes forget that this is the way that it works. And uh, Spurgeon, that great preacher of old, Charles Spurgeon, says, you and I can stand before God as Jesus. Hear this. You and I can stand before God as Jesus. I can stand before God and present myself as Jesus because Jesus stood before God on the cross as us. I am in Christ, and Christ is in me. And, he's, and, and the point is, is that that is the root of our rest. If we don't find the root of our rest in the redemptive work that's been done for us, we'll never find rest on our own. You'll never accomplish it by strategy if you don't start by recognizing what has been done for you. Right? Our worth, as we sang earlier about his worthiness, our worth is not in what we accomplish. Our worth is in his worth. It's only in his worth. I'm not worth anything apart from what he is to, in me and to me and what he's done for me. I do a lot of stuff. I stay really busy. I, I don't have a problem having things to do during the day. I usually get to the end of the day and realize I haven't done about 17 things I needed to do, including responding to emails or text messages or even showing up somewhere I needed to show up. Yesterday, I was so busy yesterday with all the stuff going on, that I showed up for a 10 o'clock meeting 30 minutes away from where the meeting was because I didn't stop and check the... I forgot. I just, oh, that's right. The meeting is out on the beach. I thought it was downtown. You know? And so I do a lot of stuff. It's not a question of activity. I'm not advocating for laziness. The question is, are we doing stuff for affirmation or are we doing it from affirmation? Are we doing stuff in order to be affirmed or are we doing stuff because we've been affirmed by the Lord and, and so what he says in this is he says, come to me. This is, this is I think, I, well, I don't think, I know that he is saying the place of affirmation and the root of your affirmation is for you to leave where you are and come to me. I, I worked on something last night where I began to look at all of the juxtapositions in this, in this, in this verse that's in Matthew 11. And basically what Jesus is saying is you can come to me and get rest or you can go anywhere else in the world, anywhere else, or anything else, and you won't have rest. That's basically what he's saying. He's saying something supernatural happens when we come to him and sit at his feet. Let me give you a little bit of context. There's lots of come-to-me competition in the ancient world, in the first century world. There were tons and tons of places that people could go, and when Jesus is, is saying, come to me, and he's you know, even laying out, and I'll talk a bit more about his yoke in a minute, but when he's talking about come to me and receive my yoke, he's not the only game in town. You know, first century Jewish rabbi is how he's holding himself out. 
There were tons of other opportunities that were out there for people. There, there were the Pharisees who, who, you know, I'll just unpack maybe four major groups, and I'll do it in a minute or two. The Pharisees, the Pharisees basically were the, their, their primary mission was to help people follow the, the Torah, to help people understand and live by the Torah, the law. And, and the law is actually called within rabbinical Judaism a yoke. And so they help people to follow the law. They had taken these, you know, 10 moral laws that were laid out explicitly on a tablet and they added to that uh, another 603 laws to come up with a 613 commandments or laws that if we could follow them, the, the better we follow them, the, the more significant our striving is towards these, to fulfilling these laws or living by these laws, the more it will hasten the coming of Messiah. And so that was one of the options for come to me. Another one was the Sadducees. The Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection as a, even as a possibility within the whole idea of a Messiah, a messianic, you know, world. And, you know, and if you want to remember who they were, they didn't believe in the resurrection and that's why they were sad, you see. Anybody here never heard that before? You've never heard that before. Wow. Okay. Well, now you always remember they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. But the Sadducees actually had more political clout with the Romans than the Pharisees did. And so the, the, the working underneath the Sadducees was essentially how do we work within this political, cultural, this wearying political, cultural, you know, vortex to try to establish something for ourselves where we can be out from under the yoke of oppression and we can have a, our best life now. We can, we can make Israel great again, you know, because we'll work within the system, you know, to, to, to try to, to get this done. And then there's the zealots, and the zealots, you know, they weren't really involved in any of... They, the zealots were looking to oust the Romans through violence, and say, they were more like, I don't know, they're more like, you know, the militia that live in the backwoods or something like that. I mean, they, were, they had, some, you know, they had some, some very pronounced ideas of what it would take. And then there's the Romans themselves, you know, when, when Paul begins to unpack things for the, in the Roman world, in the Gentile world, and he says there's neither freedman nor slave, the reason that he says that so significantly is because that's the only two categories there were, and there were tons and tons of people within the Roman world who, were, who, were, who had been sold into slavery, oftentimes because of their debt. And so there was a ton of oppression living you know, there, and so that was one of the options as well. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus says, come to me. He says it as an invitation to come and to get something you can't get in any of those other places. And, um, in John 15, he says it a little differently. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and if a man remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit, but apart from me, he can do nothing. You know that passage? Uh, and and the, the basic root of that is the same as the root of Matthew 11, where he says, come to me, and, I, and those who are late or who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. It's the same exact concept of what he's, pronouncing in John 15 about abiding in him. He's saying the vine, this is a way to think about it. A vine and a branch are literally connected, right? If you look out at the bushes that exist out there and you see the root that comes up out of the ground, the vine for that and you see the branches that come off to it, you, wouldn't, you, you could say that these are component parts of a bush, but you would refer to it as a singular entity, right? This is one plant. And so literally, when we look at a vine and its branches, we realize they're one thing. They are one thing. And if they become disconnected, 
They're no longer one thing, and the vine will continue to live, but what happens to the branch? The branch dies. It doesn't matter how, if, if I cut a branch right now and brought it inside, it had green leaves on it, and, and you, you go, wow, look at it. It still looks like it has some life in it. Guess what? It's dying in my hands. And Jesus is making this point. He's saying, come to me for life, and apart from me, there is no life. There is no other way. And when they are connected, they are one thing. And so this is what Jesus is essentially saying. He says, when you come to me and sit at my feet and you connect to me, you and I are one. And, and, and this is the beauty of it. How God looks at Jesus when you're connected to Jesus is how God looks at you. If you're connected to him, if you've come under his, you know, his yoke, then what he, the way the Lord views Jesus is how he views you. I love the whole idea of Psalm 27 where he says, one thing I've desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. He's, the two key words there are dwell and behold. How good are you at dwelling and beholding? Coming to the feet of Jesus and sitting there and just dwelling there? How many of you are good at dwelling, just dwelling in the quiet place of the Lord? How many of you are good at that? Like, literally, raise your hands if you're good at that. Okay. If I had like nine arms and 14 legs, I'd lift them all to tell you how bad I am at that. It's just sitting before the Lord. And how good are you at beholding? Just dwelling and looking. Like how many of you could go to a museum and sit in front of a beautiful painting on a bench and just look at it for a while? Yeah? I could do it for like, a, like three seconds. I, we would go to places with our kids in, in uh, museums, and I won't name names, but most of us would go, okay, good, let's go, okay, good, let's go. And others of us would go, ah. Oh. They could dwell and behold. What the Lord is inviting us to is to dwell and to behold. And this is not easy work for us to do. And activity, the things that we do and we keep moving, doesn't always mean productivity. You know, it, remain in me. He's saying, remain, remain in me. Come to me and connect there. I remember, here, I was thinking about this last night when I was a kid. Whoo, this is really going to date me. When I was a kid, okay, I've told you this guys before, but I don't know if you believe me. I'm telling you it's true. When I was a kid, there was... The telephone was different, and it had a cord that came out of it and connected to, uh, it connected to, the, to this thing. And it, you only had a certain distance you could go from that. So if you had a short cord, you could get about this far. If you had a long cord, and it would get all twisted up, and you'd have to unwind it every once in a while, you could maybe go over there. But that was about as far as you could go, right? That's, and so when I was a kid, my sister and I got a telephone line of our own. So we had our own phones in our bedroom. It was like smartphones before smartphones. You know, because, and the reason they were smartphones is because our parents didn't always know we were on them. And you know, so we had our own phone. And so what would happen is my friends and I would have conversations. Maybe I had a girlfriend at it once or twice. And you would talk on the phone and you would, you would, okay, I, I don't think, I, you would fall asleep sometimes talking on the phone. You guys ever do that? You, we're shaking your head. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you do it online. You're, like, you're playing a video game, and then you fall asleep or something like that, and your friend's like, hey, where'd you go? I don't know how you guys do it, but for us, we would literally, I would literally be laying in bed talking, and then I'd, go, I'd wake up, and I'd go, you know, I got, I got like the slobber stuck to the phone, and I, and I would go, man, it's 7 in the morning. I don't even know, and, I, and it was making a noise. I mean, why did I do Why would we do that so late at night? It's because we wanted to remain connected. We wanted to remain. We wanted to stay. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, just stay connected. He knows that we sometimes fall asleep. He knows that we don't always get it well. But he's saying constantly, remain here and, and, and stay with me. <clears throat> so we have to stop. 
slow it down a bit. And then we have to, we have to trust and learn in him. You know, Jesus says, you know, in, in, the, in the verse 29 of that, he says, take my yoke and learn. Take my yoke and learn. Jesus does not want converts. He wants students. He wants those who will come and learn. We use a different word for students. We use disciple. This is what Jesus wants. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus was a rabbi. A rabbi is one who taught. And a rabbi's teaching, as I mentioned, was called his yoke. And a farmer, <clears throat> I didn't grow up on a farm. I've been around them some. Farmers you know, had yokes that they would put on their oxen. And, they, and it was a device that they would use to put over the shoulder of the oxen to, to keep the oxen in the direction they want the oxen to, oxen to go as they were tilling the field. And the yoke would keep the oxen moving that way. It could steer it by the oxen. And it was heavy. You know, you know, after a day of being under the, the yoke, it was hard. There was a type of yoke where there was an oxen connected to another ox or two ox together connected. And that was a way in which they could, you know, carry it together. And Jesus, there's some who believe that what Jesus is referring to as my yoke is this double yoke where he walks alongside of us. Whatever the case may be, I don't know. Jesus is saying that he has a yoke, that he has a teaching mantle. And he's saying... He wants us, all of us, to come under that. And the teaching of the rabbi is the yoke that's, that helps to keep us in the direction that God wants us to go, like the farmer keeping his ox in the direction. Do you get the idea? It's pretty simple. So Jesus says, take up my yoke and learn. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm saying it that way so remember it. He's not saying take up my yoke and plow. He's saying take up my yoke and learn. Jesus wants you and I to be his students. He calls us disciples and that's why he tells us to go and make disciples we're all disciples of something do you know that every one of you the one of you who that's here this morning that's the farthest from god and you i am not following jesus at all okay fine you're still a disciple of something everybody in this room is a disciple of something some of you are disciples of the latest series on tv you know, whatever the coolest trending thing is on netflix or amazon prime that's your disciple you know and what i mean by that is you know everything about it You've studied it. You've watched it. You can say, man, I was watching episode three and about 14 minutes into it, there's this really cool thing that happens. You know, you know it backwards and forwards. You know all the names. <clears throat> you know the, you know, maybe it's old English, you know, characters and all the character development. You're like, oh my gosh, this person loves this person who loves this person who loves this person. You know it backwards and forwards and the movie goes out. You're the first in line to go and see it. You're a disciple of it. You know, you, 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 you're into it. Some of us are disciples of the Jaguars. We know everything about the Jaguars. We know everything about Gardner Minshew's upbringing now. And we know everything he did and where he lived and where, you know, how he made his way to the Jaguars via, you know, a very unlikely route. And we, and we, you know, let me just say this to you. If you know more about a sports team than you do about Jesus and you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time, you better check yourself. Because your discipleship is actually pointed at something other than him. If you know about, more about friends, you know, the, the office, uh, video games, woodworking, whatever, you name whatever it might be, whatever your primary passion and focus, wherever that goes, that's where you are primarily a disciple. Jesus wants us to be his disciples. I, I, I love thinking and connecting this with the story of Mary and Martha Mary and Martha were disciples of his, and Jesus comes into their house one day in Luke chapter 10. This story is described where Jesus uh, gathers his disciples around him. And the way that disciples could 
would, would identify that they were under the yoke of the rabbi is they would sit at the rabbi's feet. And here we have the story where Mary, the sister of Martha, is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And to sit at the feet of the rabbi in the ancient world means a lot. It means you're a disciple. But guess what? Guess who wasn't allowed to sit at the feet of the rabbi? A woman. Jesus was a different kind of rabbi, wasn't he? <laughs> For those who would, who would say that, you know, the New Testament hadn't developed in certain social areas and constructs with regards to the, you know, you know, race or women or sexuality or whatever it may be. It's really not true. I mean, you have a startling example right here of Jesus looking at a dominant culture and giving permission to Mary to violate that culture in order to be at his feet. And I've said this before. I'll say it again. You have permission from Jesus to violate any culture that would present, prevent you from sitting at his feet. You have permission to do that. Mary just pushed her way past all the men. Excuse me, boys and sat herself right down at the feet of Jesus. And women have never been second-class citizens in the economy of God. And, and Jesus is making this really clear. But there's two women in the story. Martha. Martha was distracted by her many tasks. And I think Martha is 98% of us. Right? How many of you more readily identify with Martha in the story than Mary? Martha, busy making the house ready and all this because she has guests coming over. You all do that. You know you do that, right? You frantically get your house ready because company's coming over and you work and you become maniacs and the, the kids are going, they hate you because you're like, oh my gosh, what happened to dad or mom? And, you know, I used to have a small group of my kids be like, my dad, you don't care at all about cleaning the house unless people are coming over and you're like freaking out. And then you're going, it's like a whirling dervish. You're doing all this work and then the doorbell rings and you're like, hello. Come in. We're just relaxing here in our beautifully spotless house. And the people go, when they leave, they go, man, I'm really amazed by how clean their house is, but there seemed to be an air of tension that was thick that you could almost cut with a knife. <laughs> you know what? A happy house is better than a clean house. And what's the worst thing that can happen if somebody leaves your house and says, man, them people have a messy house? So what? <laughs> Who cares? Jesus is in the room. <laughs> Jesus. We know who he is, right? Jesus is in the room, and she's busy cleaning the house. Martha basically says, God, don't you care what's happening around me? Jesus says, not only do I care, I've already done something about it. I'm just wanting and waiting for you to walk in the truth of it. Jesus tells Mary that she's the Greek word. He says, you're marimna. It's a beautiful word. We translate it worried, but it literally means divided into pieces. You ever, this is what I'm talking about, the wildebeest running like if they just got together as one. And Martha, is, she's, she's, like a, she's like 400 wildebeest fleeing in every direction. And Jesus says, you're marimna, you're divided, you're scattered, you're all over the place. And the only thing that you need is the one thing that you lack, and that's to stop, to sit at my feet, to learn from me, and then we'll do our work. a story about a super salesman who, who, who once sold this really complicated filing system to this thriving business. This business is doing great, but they're like, man, if we could just get a little better at our filing. And three months later, the salesman goes and visits the, the business and says, hey, how's that filing system working out? And the, and the manager says, magnificently, man, you can't believe it. It's out of this world. And he says, well, how's business? And the, sale, and the, and the, the manager says, well, we had to give up our business to run the filing system. 
Never give up the business of resting at Jesus' feet to run the kitchen. And so, um, it's, hard, it's hard though, isn't it? It's hard not to get caught up in the rat race. Jesus, Jesus says you can, you can come to him. And he says it's a good idea to come to him. And he qualifies why. He says, you know, it's a good idea for you to come to me because I'm gentle and lowly in heart. He's saying, I'm humble, and that's why you can come to me. Do you know Jesus is the only person that can say that? <laughs> you ever tried to say that about yourself? You could, you could come follow me because I'm really humble. <laughs> In fact, I'm the most humble person here. You know, it just doesn't work if anybody... Why can Jesus say and get away with it? Because it's true. It's just who he is. It's, it's character. It's DNA, right? It's just who he is. I have hazel eyes. Jesus has humility. I mean, I, I can grow in it as I become like him, but he just has it. And so Jesus says, you can come. it doesn't work when we try to do this, but it works for him. And one of the primary obstacles that I face in saying yes to Jesus is this issue I have of what it means when I say yes to him, when he's gentle and lowly in spirit, as good as that is for me. Oftentimes, when I say yes to Jesus, it means I have to say no to something else or someone else. And I got to be honest with you, I have a, I didn't realize this was a problem because I used to define it differently. I have a horrible people-pleasing problem. Now, that doesn't mean that I, I, that, I, that I always avoid conflict. I, for some reason, am very good at finding conflict and having, you know, having, I'm willing to have confrontational or controversial conversations. No problem there. But my people-pleasing is, is that I say yes when I should say no. Do you ever do that? Do you ever have a problem saying yes when you should say no? I do. And... And what, what the Lord, one of the things the Lord's been saying to me about don't do things I'm not asking you to do is he's saying you need to allow people to be mad at you rather than being an emotional wreck in order to keep them happy. It's okay, right? And so Jesus says this, and I'm going to kind of sort of wrap up in a little bit. I got one little section I'm going to close. So Brian, you can start warming up your fingers or Kayla, whoever's coming up. Jesus says in the last part of that uh, last part of that verse in 29, he says, for my yoke is easy. Say that with me. My yoke is easy. Now say it like you mean it. My yoke is easy. Yeah, what do you think that means when Jesus is saying his yoke is easy? What do you think he means by that? Well, first thing he means is your yoke isn't easy. <laughs> the Pharisee's yoke isn't easy. The world's yoke, the boss's yoke, the whatever yoke, it isn't easy. He says, my yoke is easy it does, and my burden is light. It doesn't mean that he's without rules. One of the things I've been working with some other people on a, uh, it's like a podcast we're going to do that's really aimed at trying to speak positively to the to the to the deconstructionist world that's out there where people are deconstructing their faith, their faith over, and, they, and, and a lot of people are making comments like this, even leaders. I've, I've gotten rid of all of the rules over here, and I've never been more happy in my life. I had a really good conversation yesterday with Dr. Downey about a, a, a mutual friend of ours who's, you know, that we care deeply about who's kind of in that boat. And the, the fact of the matter is, is that, is that, the easy, burden, the easy yoke and the light burden of Jesus doesn't mean that there aren't rules. It just means that what he means by this is these are for life. 
Connected to me, you're alive. Apart from me, you're not. And, and the picture I have in my mind, without getting too deeply into it, is those who believe that by disconnecting from that are never been happier, it's, they're like the boys in Pinocchio who get offered a trip to Pleasure Island where there's no rules and you can do whatever you want and it's all joy and it's all good and there's, you know, you, it's all freedom. But unbeknownst to them, at the same time that there's no rules, they're being turned into beasts of burden, donkeys. Unaware. Jesus says, my yoke, my burden. He says, your, your yoke and your burden isn't light. And Jesus is saying, basically, this is what he's saying. And again, I'm not, I'm, I'm not into strategy. I'm into culture today. Jesus is saying, essentially, I've got this. I've got this. My shoulders are broad. You know, my hands are nail pierced. Not, not yours. I've got this. He's saying, participate in my life. Let yours go. Let your... You know, you're not going to be able to carry even your life on your own. Participate in my life. And I love the fact that we don't have to do it alone. I, you know, there's so many little sneaky verses where we almost miss it. Paul says it this way in Colossians 1. He says, him, in him I proclaim, warning everyone and teaching with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then he says in verse 20, he's saying, I'm going to preach with everything I got, and I'm not going to hold back anything so that the people who are under my ministry will be presented one day mature. He's like, I'm going for that. And he, and he says, that ain't easy. He says in Galatians that the burden of that is like a woman bearing a child. That's not a light burden. But watch this. Watch what he says in, the, in verse 29 of Colossians 1. He says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy. that he powerfully works within me. Do you get that? Do you get the sneaky little twist of words that Paul says? He says, I'll toil for this, but I'm not toiling for this with my own energy. I'll toil for this with his energy that he's powerfully working within me. That, those are the two choices. We can do this world with the yoke on our own shoulders, of our own yoke, of our own making, and our own power, or we can put on his yoke and we can toil. It's still, there are challenges. There's things we have to go after that are hard. But we can do it by virtue of his power being put within us. We make the choice. You don't have to do it alone. You can participate with his life. Look, this is the closing word. At the end of the day, God only uses ordinary people. I've been looking over and over and over again in the word to try to find people that he chooses and calls out and uses that I would go, man, that's, that's the most powerful dude in the room. And what I find over and over again are ordinary people that God chooses to use and to put his grace in. His, his grace is sufficient to use an ordinary person like me. Right? You believe that? Do you believe that his grace is more sufficient than your ordinariness? You're worried about what you did last night. You're thinking, man, you knew what I did last night. You know. But here's what I'm saying. I'm saying what Jesus did, the burden, the yoke that he wore, the outstretched arms on the cross, what he did for you is so much greater than what you did last night that if you would just lay it down and come to him and say, Lord, I lay down my burden. I lay down my sin. I lay down the thing that I've allowed to define me in favor of your grace, which is sufficient for me, then you can even use me and my ordinariness. I'm a wordsmithing right now. 
But we're, in order to do that, we got to get real. And I'm going to close with a quote from one of my favorite authors, a guy by the name of A.W. Tozer. This is what he says in The Pursuit of God. I'm going to read this, and I'm going to pray. And you can respond as you feel led. If you want to come to the altar, you can come to the altar. Jesus calls us with come to me to come to his rest. And meekness is his method. Meekness is strength under control. It's not weakness, right? Jesus calls us to his rest and meekness is his method. The meek person doesn't, cares not at all who is greater than he. Okay, so let me just tell you what Tozer is saying. If you're meek, if you have your strength under control, you're not comparing yourself to the people around you. You're not going, I don't care who's greater or less than me. The meek man cares not at all who is greater than he, for he has long ago decided that the esteem of the world is not worth the effort. The rest Christ offers is the rest of meekness, the blessed relief which comes when we accept ourselves for what we are and cease to pretend. It will take some courage at first, but the much-needed grace will come as we learn that we are sharing in this new and easy yoke with the strong Son of God himself. The way we get better at it is through the realization that we're actually sharing the yoke with the strong Son of God himself. He says, come and participate in my life. Connect to me. And when the Father looks at you, he sees me because we're one. We're connected. Or we can do it any other way. You can rest or you can toil. Would you stand if you can? Jesus. Oh, man. Sometimes the heavy sigh that's in our hearts is an expression of our deep need to lay it all down, Lord. The trust and obey and to to cease our striving under our own power come and to bow before you, to bow our necks, to bend our knees, and to, and to lay it all down and to say, Jesus, I give you my yoke in favor of yours. I thank you for what you've done for me. I thank you for the root of rest, which is redemption. You've redeemed us. You've already done that for us. We can receive and enter into that rest. We thank you that your yoke is not like the yoke of the world. It's not like the weariness that we feel when we enter into politics or culture or it's not the sort of thing that, um, that we, it's a different sort of element than if we try to rest through activity, Lord, that's unproductive and fruitless. And so we ask, Lord, that you would compel us, that you would call us, that you would be winsome in your voice, that we would hear the sweet voice of the strong son of God himself calling us to yourself and offering us the rest of meekness an invitation to share in a new and easy yoke. In Jesus' name, you come if you feel led.